back in the second century, so we're talking like the hundreds of uh, the common era, uh, there was a, a certain man uh, called Marcion. Uh, probably not a name you've heard, maybe you have. Um, but in his time, he was deemed a heretic. Why? He was a heretic because he wanted to get rid of basically two-thirds of the Bible. He was a heretic because he wanted to get rid of the Old Testament. And why was that? For Marcion, the problem was that in this chunk of the Bible, all he saw was a wrathful God. A God of judgment, a God of wrath. And he didn't like what he read. He didn't like what he saw. And he wanted to get rid of it. He wanted to stick with Jesus. Loving Jesus. That was what Marcion wanted to do. And in his mind, Jesus came to start a new story. Not to complete an old one. He came to enlighten us. Not to suffer and die. I don't know if you're beginning to see problems in that. For Marcion, he wanted some spiritual message that sounded really nice for everyone. But the problem is that as you read through this book, it doesn't really let you do that. It doesn't really let you do that. And that idea hasn't changed in history. There are, that idea still exists. People still want a good news. They still want a gospel, but they don't want everything that goes with the Christian gospel. They don't want all the difficult, hard stuff that we read in the Old Testament. They just want the nice, lovely, gracious Jesus with blonde flowing hair and the blue sash who holds children and a lamb. And that's the Jesus that the world wants. But when you do that, you completely miss the point of who Jesus is. You completely miss the point of what Jesus is all about. And as we start this series on Leviticus, part of the purpose of that is to fill in the gaps of this gospel story. Because it's not something that we often read. Leviticus, I will admit, is not always an easy book to read. It talks about sacrifices. It talks about rituals. It talks about all these things. And it's not always easy to get your head around. But it is part of the story. It's part of the gospel story. And it, for me, it's actually one of the most significant parts of the Old Testament. Because if you can get your head around that, the gospel becomes suddenly a lot more real for everyday life. So I hope as we go through Leviticus, we begin to see that. As we kind of try and untangle what is there, um, that we discover that this story, this gospel story that we have, this message that we have for people is not some ideological law of do this, do that, and everything will be well, but it is a story of life. A story that brings life. A story of hope. And as we've just seen here, Stephen gives us an example of how this works. As we've just read, Stephen's uh, a man of God and he's, he speaks and he draws people's attention and nobody stands up against him. And so 
there's a problem because nobody likes what he's saying. So they bring false witnesses and uh, they charge him. Uh, They bring him before the council, the Sanhedrin, to judge him. And the high priest asks, are these charges true? And he breaks out into this massive story. Uh, If you want a summary of uh, most of the Old Testament, read Stephen's story right there. That's basically a summary of everything. But if you do know those stories, you notice that he does it in a particular way. He doesn't just kind of go word for word in a way. He doesn't just kind of go one after the other. He actually picks the story and puts it together in a particular way. And I think that's important for us to to take notice of. And we'll kind of unpack that a little bit more in a moment. But I want us to notice what he does. He tells the story to the people. Now, getting this into context... Uh, These are Jews. These are leaders and teachers of the Jews. So they know this story. They know it back to front. And so he takes this story that they know and he retells it in a way to make a point. He highlights certain things in their story. He starts with Abraham and the promise that God makes to Abraham. And he moves to Joseph. He moves then to Moses. From Moses, he moves to the tabernacle. And in each part, he highlights a particular aspect of their story, but then also shows them what they've missed. Why is that important for us? It's important because we have to understand that people are looking for a story to fit in. More so than ever, I think this language of story and narrative is becoming something that people are searching for. People are looking for an answer to life. In essence, they're looking for the meaning of life. People go week to week. They go to work, nine to five. They go to school. They run around with their kids and they get to the end of the week and they, what's the point? What? And even for us, you can come here each Sunday and go, what's the point? And part of the problem is that people no longer have a story that they fit into and they're looking, they're searching. People are looking for a story to understand the bushfires. It's part of this whole thing about going back to the indigenous people of Australia to to understand how to look after the land. They're looking for a story. People are jumping on to social justice and different causes because they're looking for a way that their life fits into a story that matters. And people are searching. But when they don't find that answer, it all just goes into a heap. Mental health is on the rise. Mental health issues are on the rise. Suicide is increasingly more of a problem. Um, Why? Because people want to know where they fit, where they belong, who they are. They're looking for a story that fits all of life, not just part of life, but all of life. And from the questions of 
Why do I go to school? How do I parent my children? What do we do with these bushfires? How do we look after the poor? How do we do these things? They're looking for an answer that brings these all together. And when we take our time to seriously know the story that we've been given, I hope we begin to find that actually there's a lot more answers here than we think there is. Because for many of us, and myself included, I'll admit, we're surprised when we open up the pages of this book and go, oh, hey, we've got an answer there. There is an answer to the bushfires in here. It actually talks about looking after the land in Scripture. And it actually impacts modern farming practices. It talks about the human heart and the condition of the human heart and how we care for the human heart. Whatever questions... Now, okay. There are not specific answers. It's not going to tell you what to do tomorrow. Right? But it gives us foundations and principles in a story. Right? Not just piecemeal advice, but in the context of a story that brings all of life together. And that's what Stephen does. Stephen brings together this story that these Jewish leaders and teachers know and he brings it to life in a different way. One of the things that Stephen does is he highlights the things that they love. Right? These Jewish leaders and teachers, they love their patriarchs. They love Abraham, they love Joseph, they love Moses particularly. He spends some time with, with that. And he, and he builds them up. He says, look at these great people. He even brings in David and Solomon with the temple. He's like, look at these great people. These are the people that you admire. And he brings them into the story. But then he does something else. Towards the end, he begins to turn this story on them. Because all through this, he's kind of throwing little hints in the way. With Abraham, he talks about the promise that God made to him. And that God would bring it about. The same with Joseph in a short paragraph. He talks about how Joseph is used by God. With Moses, he, um, he fleshes this out particularly. And there's a few things here. He talks about Moses being the ruler and judge. He talks about Moses being the saviour of the people. But then he turns around and says, actually these people disobeyed him, rejected him. And they ended up making an idol. And then he talks about this tabernacle, this meeting place with God. But then turns around and says, actually, it's not that important anyway. God made all these things. Take the time to read through that story and see how it unpacks. Listen, actually, listen to it. If you, if you know this story, listen to it. Because it's really interesting how Stephen kind of weaves this story together. But right at the end, he turns it all on them. And what does he say? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. This gospel story that Stephen is telling points to Jesus. The promise that was made to Abraham was a promise that through him the whole world would be blessed. The whole world, not just the Israelites, the whole world. Through Joseph, Joseph was a center point where God kept his people safe in the midst of this massive drought. He kept them safe. He provided for them. But again, the promise to Abraham was that they would be slaves for 400 years. And so that happens after Joseph. And it comes to Moses. Moses is this, the Jewish hero. He's the superhero of the Jewish faith. And but even Moses wasn't enough. Moses, who God used to bring them out of Egypt, left them with these words. God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. But what comes after that? It says, your fathers, our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. They made an idol and worshipped it. And then Stephen talks about this tabernacle, this temple, this place where God comes down to earth, heaven on earth, where people can meet with him. But even there, he says, that's not the place. But these are all the things that the Jews lifted up. They loved Moses. They loved their temple. They loved the promises that were given to them. They, they prided themselves on being the chosen people of God, the children of Abraham. And Stephen says, you've totally missed the point. Totally missed the point. You've rejected, you've resisted God, the Holy Spirit. So much so that just like your fathers, you killed the prophets and you killed the one that God sent, the righteous one. And that's this story. And that still happens today. As much as we live here in Australia, more than anything, we are part of this world and all people of this world. And our story is one that goes right to the beginning. It is a story of a God who made all things, who made all people. And he didn't single out the Israelites just for them. He singled them out so that they would go and be a blessing to everyone. Christians today fall into the same trap. That somehow we have found Jesus. And what do we do? We keep him in the walls of the church. We are meant to be a blessing to the nations. Just as the Israelites were. All the promises of God from Abraham till now. Are not just for us, but for the blessing of others. And just as God continues to protect and keep people, just as He did in Joseph's day, He does that so that God's people continue to exist and be a blessing to the world. 
and this Moses that the Jews upheld. We talk about Jesus every week. We, we, we hold him up. And he, he, he gives us salvation from sin. He reveals to us what it is for God to walk amongst us. And he is the temple. We, we spent a bit of time talking about this last year. He is the temple where people can meet with God. Not here, in this, not, not here in a building, but in Jesus, in the person himself. But what do we do with him? Because Stephen's problem and God's problem is that they kept this story to themselves. And they thought it was all about them. That's not it, is it? Because none of us here are Jews. None of us here have inherited this story from our families. Instead, we are what the Bible calls Gentiles. We have been blessed by those who have taken this story and shared it, whether it's with us, with our families, or even our ancestors. But this story has been passed on, not so that we can feel nice and comfortable each Sunday. Not so that we can have something to fall back on and feel good about. But so that the world might be blessed. That the world might know that there is a story that their lives fit into. That there is purpose and that there is meaning to life. That there are answers to the questions that they're asking. But here's the thing. Marcion tried to get rid of all the ugly stuff. He tried to get rid of the Old Testament and everything that was there. Because to him it was ugly, it was critical, it was painful, it hurt. But see, that's the gospel. That here is a God, when he created everything, was perfect. But sin comes into the world because of man's disobedience and distrust of God. But the story doesn't end there. What happens? God comes in and he says, well, the story's just started and you've already messed it up, so what are we going to do about this? What does he do? Right at the beginning, he makes a promise that sin will be crushed. The serpent that tempted man will be crushed. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, we already have a promise. And that unfolds all through the Old Testament. It's this story of God trying to redeem and restore His people. From Abraham, to Joseph, to Moses, to the kings, to Jesus. It's a story about this loving God who comes to restore and to redeem life. And so we have to deal with pain. We have to deal with sin. We have to deal with the hurt. Because when you get rid of that, and all you're left with is some spiritual malady, some spiritual mystical religion, you don't deal with pain. You don't deal with suffering. 
You look at New Age religion, you look at the spiritualities that exist, they're all about escaping pain. They're all about getting rid of pain. They don't deal with them. But here in this story is a God who deals with pain, who deals with suffering. And as we get into Leviticus, we see how God does that. We see how does God deal with pain and suffering and sin. And that's what this story is about. It's a story about a loving God who wants to restore his people. That's what it is. And each step of the way, he's building this story. And so, I want to encourage you to know this story. Don't just pick pieces and read through it. Know the story from beginning to end. Who's a, a fan of Star Wars? Anyone? No? Okay. Star Wars movies are a little bit messed up. Because they start with chapter 4, not chapter 1. And it gets, once you've watched chapter 1, it gets a bit confusing. It's like, what's going on here? Because you kind of watch things out of order. But most of the time when you watch a movie or you read a book, it actually goes from beginning to end. Right? You read Lord of the Rings, if there's any Lord of the Ring buffs out there. You read Lord of the Rings, you read it from beginning to end, and you see this amazing story unfold. The movies do it absolutely no justice. Maybe Harry Potter for the younger ones. These great stories don't all happen in chapter 1. They don't all happen in chapter 6. It's this grand story that unfolds and makes it the wondrous story that it is when you get to the end. Right? Marvel movies, they're, they're all building on each other. So does this. We read from the beginning and... We kind of get stuck along the way because it's not a story that we're always familiar with. There's culture in there, there's history in there. And sometimes we get stuck. But when you get through that story, as you get into the details and begin to understand it and see how it unfolds, when you get to the end, you have this amazing story. You have this magnificent story. But if you start in the middle and you start with Jesus, and that's great. Jesus is great. I'm not downplaying Jesus at all. You start with Jesus, you get a great story. You get this man who demonstrates what love and grace and mercy looks like. You get to see a picture of what God is like. And you kind of get to deal with this thing called sin. But you know what? This half of the story doesn't actually tell you much about sin. It's the first half. You want to understand what sin is, you need to go back to the Old Testament. And so, do you see where I'm getting at? We have this story, but often we just kind of pick up pieces along the way. We read one chapter, jump over here, read another chapter. We don't get the full picture. And then you get to Revelation, and it's just mind-blowingly confusing. What is going on here? There's lion-headed angels, multiple-wheeled chariots that go in every direction, all that. What is just? What is going on here? But when you start from the beginning, 
you begin to understand who the characters of this story are. You begin to see where this story is going. When you get to the end, we actually have a story that people are searching for. That we are searching for. How do you make sense of life? Well, you actually need to go back to the beginning. And we live in a time and an age where history is forgotten. People don't want to know about the past. They want to live in the here and now. But at the same time, they're searching for answers. And I've said it time and time again. We need old people here because we need to hear their stories. To understand how life fits. You you want to understand what the next chapter of your life looks like. Don't go ask your friends. They won't know. They haven't been there. Go ask someone who has. And in the same way, you want to understand life. You need to understand someone who's been living beyond this life. And we have such a story. We have that recorded for us. So know this story. Because when we do, it actually starts to connect with all the different parts of our lives. Because it's all here. How do we raise our children? What are we aiming for? How do we go about our study and our work? What is it that we're living for? What do we do with our relationships? Not just our personal relationships, but our communities, our neighborhoods, our country. How are we meant to relate with all of those things? What do we do with our money? How do we decide how we spend our money? How do we decide how we spend our time? How do we decide what's worth investing in, what's worth giving to? How do we decide all of these things? Well, actually, there's a lot in here to help us. But more than that, it's a story of life. Not just It's not a help guide. I want to make that extremely clear. It's not, it's not a self-help book. But it gives us a story, if you're into the philosophical thing, it's a meta-narrative of what life is about. And in the end, it does come back to Jesus. It comes back to who he is, what he has done, why he has done it, and what's next. So what can we take away from this? Well, personally, I think, take the time to learn this story. If there's gaps in that story, try and fill them. And yes, there's things that are difficult to read, But you're not alone. There's great resources out there. There's plenty of people around who have taken the time to learn and study these things. But the next step is to actually connect that story with life. It's not enough to just know the story. Connect it with life. Ask those questions. What does this story say about my study? What does this story say about my work? What does it say about my family? my relationships, my money. What is it, how does this translate into the life that we live? Because there are some pretty big implications when we take the time to think about it. But then lastly, share this story. The thing we see with Stephen is that this story is something that demands a response. It's not something that people can hear and go, oh, that's nice. This isn't a Marvel cinematic 
This isn't Lord of the Rings where you get to the end and go, wow, that was amazing. No, you get to the end of this story and you have to ask yourself, what do I do with this? Where do I go? Because you can't read this story and go, oh, that was nice. It doesn't work. This story demands a response of us. And just like Stephen, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with Jesus and all that he is? The Jews killed Stephen for it. It was enough of a story to kill him for it. That's pretty big. No one's going to kill you if you don't agree with the way that the Marvel story is going. No one is going to kill you if you don't like Lord of the Rings. But this is a story that people have been killed over. And that should say something. You don't get upset over a story for no reason. This changes lives. changes our lives. And it demands a response. And this is a good news story. One of the things that jumps out as you read this story is how it ends. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was a man who was captivated by this story. Right down to the depths of his heart. And he demonstrates that with the way that he ends his life. Because it's the way that Jesus ends his life. Jesus takes the sins of the world. He takes all that has been broken and corrupted, all the pain and suffering. He takes it on himself and he takes it to the cross. Wrongfully taken to the cross. The cross was a place for criminals. And Jesus goes to the cross with our sins, with our burdens, with our brokenness. And as he hangs there, he looks out and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is a story that changes lives because here we have a God who wants to restore and to redeem people to himself. So much so that he will lay all that brokenness, all that sin, all that pain and suffering on his own son on the cross. And then, his own son doesn't turn around and say, go and kill them all for this. No, he says, forgive them. Because even the son knows the love of God. The son knows how deep the father loves his people and will bear that pain and suffering on himself so that the world might know love, might know the God who made them and the God who redeems them. That's the story. And as we go to Leviticus, as we start this series and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it all, that's the big story. The story of Leviticus is not a story about rules and regulations and rituals. Because that's often how you read it. You read it, it's like, you do this, do this, you've got to do this sacrifice, and here's this law. But that's not what Leviticus is about. Because the story of Leviticus actually goes back to the beginning and says, here is God. 
God who made you and wants to deal with your sin. He wants to deal with your brokenness. He wants to restore you. This is how you do it. That's the story of Leviticus. And we'll unpack that as in the next few weeks, months. Um, and I hope that we begin to see that. And that's just a picture of this big story that we have called the gospel. So know the story. Learn the story. See how it connects with everyday life. Because it does. Maybe not in specific things, but you might be surprised what it does have to say. But don't keep it to yourself. Because the world is searching. They're searching for answers. They're searching for a story that makes sense. Once a story that makes sense of the pain and suffering and the problems that we face, it wants to make sense of those things. And people are searching. The problem is how we tell that story. So go. Find out more. Come and ask questions. But learn about this story that makes a difference to you and to our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us. You have made us in your image and we are precious in your sight. And Father, we bring to you the problems, the, the pain, the suffering, the sin, knowing that in Jesus it can be dealt with. And Father, we look forward today to the day when all will be taken away and done away with and everything is restored. Help us to know this story. Help us to understand this story. Help us to grow in this story, but also help us to show this story to the world. Father, help us, we ask in Jesus' name.